All right, all right. We're going to get right into this passage. We're still in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be actually in the book of Matthew all summer. Is that good with you guys? We seem to be going a little bit slow. We've been in it since January, but we're in Matthew 14. That's not terrible. Why doesn't everybody grab their Bibles? We're going to be flipping through a few books, but they're all very easy to find. So grab a Bible. There's some little rack in front of you if you don't have one. And we're going to get right into this. I don't know if you guys saw some of the news lately. Um, There's this crazy story that came out of London. There was this man, and he was suntanning in his backyard, which doesn't happen often in London. That's not the crazy part of the story. He was suntanning, and legitimately, as he was suntanning, right beside him, a man fell from the sky and landed within five feet of him and bounced in the air, and he laid there dead. And he was completely shocked what had happened. There was a man that had fallen from the sky and was, was dead beside him. It turned out that there was a man who fled from Nairobi on an airplane in the landing gear. And as the airplane was about to land in London, it opened the landing gear. This man from Nairobi fell out a thousand meters out of the sky and landed in London. And, and, and there he was, and, and all of the neighbors came and saw this man laying there, and as it became really evident what happened, they just felt this just deep feeling of just guilt that this man had to hide in this landing gear. It was, it was a desperate man in a desperate situation, and, and they had recognized, and they, they all talked amongst themselves. Um, this was on CBC Radio, and they just talked about how at the end of the day, they all feel the pinch themselves financially. And here's a man in desperate circumstance that did the same thing. There was, when we were in India, um, the orphans there are just so desperate. I've talked about this before, but you'd be stopped at a stoplight and, and these little orphans would come up to your car and they'd grab onto the windshield wiper and they wouldn't let go until you gave them money. And and I asked one of the locals, I said, why are they just going to such crazy lengths to get money from us? And he said that white people will show them no attention unless they do extreme things. So there was one little girl who, who put her hand in front of my face, and it was completely mangled. It was this gross, unhealed stump. She put it underneath the, the wheels of a train on purpose so she would have some ability to get money as a beggar. Otherwise, she would have starved and I just felt so horrible for this. And it's not, surprisingly, it's not just a third world problem. They say that financial stress is the foremost stressor amongst people even here in Canada. And that the leading cause of divorce is financially related. Right? We all get that. I think that most of us, if we were to like write down our number one prayer requests, it would all have to do with our future. It would have to do with career getting into the right school so you can get a job or not getting fired or just worrying about either yourself or your children and finance is right there at the top of it all. It's our biggest stress and here's why. Is that we live in a society where we are consumers like never before. When they sort of view the world's history and they look at this particular era, they would say that not only have we decimated the global faster than anyone else, which we know, but we've also um, created the most stress for ourselves in doing so. I want to show you guys this little video. This is a fascinating take on sort of what we've done to our lives and to our world. Check this out. I, uh, I love that. I especially love how it's awkwardly silent. <laughs> and the creator of that surely 
intentionally did that. See, we live at a time where silence is just so maddening for us. And just any sort of blank space, it's just so difficult sometimes for us because we're, we're consumers and, and, we're, and, and at the end of the day, we have such a hard time in that environment. See, we were created to dream, each one of us, and I think we know that. And we were created by the creator to create. That's who we are. We've been created by a relational God to have relationship. And we weren't created to just simply be consumers. We were created to fight injustice and seek mercy and not just survive and get a career. And you know what? As a little kid, I never decided I want to grow up and I want, I really, really, really want a mortgage. You know what the word mortgage means? We've talked about this before. Mort is mortician. It means death. Mort. Gage is grip. Mortgage is another word for death grip. You see, this is sort of one of our goals in life. It's I just want to get a job and get a death grip. That's all that I want. We've never had these dreams before. You see, the rat race is not the way of the kingdom, and, and we were not created to live in this way that we've all been sort of trained to live. China never used to live this way up until the last, say, generation. In China recently, there was a video of a two-year-old girl and she got hit by a car, and the whole thing was being filmed by a, uh, by a camera um, that was hidden, and, and nobody sort of saw this camera. And this little girl got hit, and as the driver sort of saw what happened, the driver was late for work and, and backed up over the girl again and then left. And there's a little two-year-old girl laying in the street. And the camera caught 18 people walking by a two-year-old girl on their way to work, but so worried about getting there and all walking around her. There was another person who tried to get around her on his way to work and ran over her legs again. And this went really public in China. And the media there called it this public numbness, this just consumer-driven society that we were never created for. And... And I think we all sort of sense that things aren't exactly right. Let me invite you into just a beautiful way of living. And, and Jesus does the most profound things in a, in a situation, in a miracle that you've heard many times before. But the meaning is often lost because of its familiarity. Why don't you all turn with me to Matthew 14. Or just open it up on your phone, Matthew 14. And as you find it, I'm just going to pray, and, and as we always do, I'm just going to ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you. If you're a believer, we need to ask daily for the filling of the Spirit, and He comes and He does fill us with the Spirit and gives us understanding. If you're not a believer, if you haven't given your life to Jesus before, and the Spirit has not made residence within you, you can ask that God would come and reveal to you spiritual truths. So let's just pause, and for 10 seconds, just invite the filling of the Spirit so that you can have eyes to see and ears to hear, and then I'll, I'll pray after that. Yeah, Jesus, we ask for your spirit. God, we ask um, that you would just fill us with wisdom and insight, God. God, you say that your yoke is easy, God. And so I pray that, that any word that comes from your scripture, God, that's not sweet, God, that it, that's clearly not from you, that you come to bring us liberty, God, and you haven't come to give us shame, God. You haven't come to condemn us, but to give us life. 
So I pray that your spirit would come and reveal that to us, God. Thank you. Amen. Okay, Matthew 14, and we're going to start in verse 14. Just follow along with me in your Bibles there. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So here's what's happening is that Jesus got off the the Sea of Galilee and there's this huge group of people, probably around 15,000 people, and they're way out in the middle of nowhere and there's not food available. I want you to imagine this. There's no bathrooms available. You ever thought about that? 15,000 people, they just left their lives following Jesus. They didn't think about lunch, dinner, bathroom breaks. Where did they go? And so this is the situation, and it is like, we're not talking about like paved roads. We're not talking about grass. We're talking about dusty, dirty ground, and this is where they are. And so this is what happened. Send the crowds away, they said, so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the disciples are like, Jesus, we got to get them to town. They haven't peed. They haven't eaten supper. Send them away. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And they told the people to sit down on the grass. This would be like scruffy old, like imagine a Soyuz in the middle of the desert there. We're not talking about the park across from the ark. We're talking about like scrubland. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is unbelievable and so cool. Remember this, is that Jesus gave the disciples a crazy promise. He said, follow me. Seek my kingdom, and I will provide for you food. That's what he said. Remember that? So now, here's a situation where they have to feed all of these people, about 15,000. And then how many basketfuls did they collect at the end? Twelve. Each disciple, after feeding 15,000, had a full basketful for themselves. Jesus said, I'll provide for you. And then he proved it, and they each had their own full basket left. Imagine this. He knew out of those 15,000 people how much each person would eat so that the disciples got their fill too at the end. You ever thought about that? This is a God whose provision is so extravagant. The miracle's crazy in and of itself, but he thought, I need to feed my boys. But it gets even crazier. There's way more to this. He told them all to sit. That's something that must be really carefully noted. Back then, to be a follower of Jesus or to even be there was dangerous. To sit was this posture of extreme trust. It's like, oh, Jesus, we have to sit. We have to sit here. We're sitting. There's like snakes. There's bugs. At this time, there were bandits. (laughs) There were looters. There were thugs. This is dangerous. And now these, these people have to just sit there on the ground in this posture of trust Jesus is saying, I want you to sit. Something really important is going to happen here. Psalm 23 is what's happening here. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is taking this entire miracle, and he is, he is basically taking Psalm 23 and bringing it alive. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down 
in green pastures. It's this posture of trust. Sheep will never lie down on their own. They'll just stand there and they'll just get tired and weary. And the shepherd has to go and make the sheep lie down. Just get down. Get down. You guys all need to get down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. This is so cool. He says, I want you to all sit in groups. This is what Mark says in his account. And he uses this Greek word symposia. Have you guys ever heard of a symposium? at like university or whatever, this would be a really fancy meal where you'd get together and you would have a, sim- a, a symposium. This was a dinner party. Jesus is saying, guess what? Sit down, we're going to have a dinner party. That's the word that he used. And they're all like, in this place for us right here, this is Psalm 23 verse 5, come alive. He says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A dinner party. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. Sit down, everybody. My disciples pick up all the leftover food. There's 12 baskets. He says, get in groups. We're going to have a dinner party. And then it gets even crazier. Are you guys ready? This is so cool. Mark says this too. He said, I want you to sit down in rows. And he uses this Greek word that he uses nowhere else. It's this word. It's prasia. And it it, it probably looks quite familiar, this Greek word, prasia. It's a word that means paradise. It's where we get the word paradise from. It's this word that means garden party. He's saying, I want you to sit down. We're going to have a garden party. This is paradise. He's talking about the garden of, of Eden. And he sums up Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's saying, listen to me, everybody. Come to me. We're going to have a garden party. Sit down and trust me. Jesus could have simply just provided this miracle with all them standing, but he is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I have so much more for you than you can ever imagine. You see, we just stress and struggle and we desire to have our needs met and we worry about our future, we worry about jobs and he just says, sit down, let's, let's have paradise together, let's have a symposium. I want to take care of you, I want to bless you. What's going on here is so powerful and you can tell this is happening in your life when this is your reality. Matthew six twenty one. you got that there, Zach? Throw that up. This is so cool. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. You're probably thinking, what in the world is Jesus even talking about here? If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Jesus is saying something here that we don't understand because he's using an idiom that they would have understood in Hebrew very well. Good eye was this word. It was a euphemism for generosity. If somebody said, man, you got a good eye, it means you're generous. If somebody said to you, you have a bad eye or an evil eye, it meant you were selfish, greedy, And Jesus is saying that if you're generous, your whole body will be filled with light. 
He's saying, you can sit there in the presence of your enemy, and I will provide for you so you can give it away. One of my friends, um, we were just talking about my new boat. I got a new boat, by the way. <laughs> I got the two best slash worst boats you've ever seen in your life. One cost $400, and the other one was given to me. And I said, hey, do you want to borrow my boat? And he said, yeah, man, I'd love to borrow your boat. That's so generous. And then I said, it's not so generous. Somebody gave it to me. (laughs) It was a free boat, so, I mean, I could just lend it, right? It was a boat that was really messed up, and I I fixed it up a bit, and now people can use it. If you want to borrow it, just call me. You can borrow my boat. And, And I thought to myself, why in the world, in my mind, does it make it less generous because it was given to me? Because in reality, every single thing that I have has been given to me. Everything. And so I need to treat every one of my possessions and everything that I own as though it's been given to me. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you sit there. We're going to have a dinner party. And because I will always provide for you, you can be overly crazy generous. This is who you get to be from now on. You can just be overly, crazily, extravagantly generous. Because here's the reality is that we can be filled with this great darkness at the end of the day if we're greedy. This is why greed is one of the seven deadly sins. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. He says, do not murder, right? It's a command. He says, do not store up treasures on earth. It's greed. It's a command from him. The reason that it's one of the seven deadly sins is that when we're not generous, our whole body is filled with darkness. He is saying, essentially, that your spiritual well-being is dependent upon your generosity. Isn't that fascinating? John Wesley, he's this great thinker. He says this, both destruction and unhappiness will follow if we're not generous. There's no peace, no settled, solid peace for those who do not know God. There is no true or lasting contentment for anyone who does not seek him with a good eye. We can seek him all we want, but if we're not a generous people, our whole bodies will be filled with a darkness that sometimes confuses us and we can't understand and we don't know what's going on. There was an inspiring man that lived in Texas and his name was Robert Letourneau. I've talked about this guy a lot. You've probably heard me talk about him all the time. He's the guy that designed all of the big yellow machines like the caterpillars, the backhoes, the excavators, the bulldozers. He's got the patent for all of them. And he said some crazy things. He said, when a man realizes spiritual things are worth more, and certainly they will last when material things are gone. He will work harder for spiritual things. And here's what he did. He actually began to make millions of dollars, and he didn't take home any of it. He stayed on his original salary his whole life and gave away everything else. Isn't that crazy? Listen to what he says. He says, it's not about how much money I give to God, but how much of his money I keep. It's all from him. Every bit of it's from him. And when I recognize that every one of my possessions is his in the first place, I can be generous with it. It's all all of God's. Turn with me to the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. 
So if you take your Bible and open it right to the middle, you get Psalms or Proverbs. And then if you take the second half and open that to the middle, you should get Malachi or Matthew. Malachi is right before the book of Matthew. If you've got one of these little pew Bibles here, it's in page 930. Malachi was a prophet, and God had a really incredible word. There are very few times, actually this is the only time in all of Scripture where God says, test me. It's a rare exception to the fact that we're not to put him to the test except for this situation. He says, I want you to return to me. He says, you're robbing me. And then Malachi 3 verse 8, follow along with me. I don't have the scripture there. It's okay, Zach. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. This is a crazy, rare exception, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough for it. This is what's happening when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 people. He's saying, I want to show you that I can do this. I want to show you that I know your individual unique needs and I will meet them. Test me. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruits, says the Lord God Almighty. Then all the nations will cause you blessed for yours is a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't that powerful? He keeps saying, test me, says the Lord Almighty. Test me, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty. He's saying, I am Almighty, so I can actually deal with this test. Test me. I really think that it's a very important thing for even all of our children, as we grow them up, to say, you have a job. You need to bring the first, the first bit of each paycheck, and you need to give that right back to God. You need to trust God with your money. If you give him, the Bible calls it the first fruits, you're saying it's his posture of trust. It's saying I trust you with providing for me all the rest. And God says, trust me that I will just pour open the floodgates in your life. This is something that if you're getting newly married, it needs to be right at top of mind. I think it's really important. I, I think that a lot of countries, like for example, these people that are, that are having all the problems in Africa right now, we met so many of them, and, and they see all the wealth that we have and the waste. Everything that we buy today, 90% will be in the dump within five years. Did you know that? 90% in five years. What if we just, instead of just consuming, what if we said, you know what, I'm going to give 100 or $200 a month to overseas mission? To, to people that need it. I'm going to sponsor a kid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do stuff with a child of mine. I'm going to give money to people that desperately need it so they don't have to fall out of airplanes trying to get here. I mean, when we all saw that refugee boy, that, that little boy that was like, still dressed in like a really cute little collar shirt and he was washed up on the beach, remember that kid? We all saw that kid and we're like, he could be our child. That could be our child right there. It just really hit home. It's like, my greed is creating other desperation in the world, and, and I can do something about it. And, and so when God says, you know what? Test me. 
He's good. And I used to never talk about money. As a matter of fact, Pursuit, we never used to take an offering. There just used to be a basket out the back. I think that was such a bad idea. Because here's the reality is that if we're generous, Jesus is saying that your whole life will be full of light. It's the switch. Our generosity is the switch. And so this is such a beautiful promise from God that he is the provider and he says, test me. And so I really think that for each one of us, if we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And, and I really believe when me and Melissa got married, one of the first things we did was we just said, we're going to do auto debit to our church every month. And that's such a good thing. It comes out at the beginning of the month. We, we just say, we trust you, God, with the rest. And that's what's going to happen. And that has been a life-changing thing for us. And I really believe that God honors that when he says, test me. And that's what happens. And, and this isn't a religious thing at all. But I really believe that as followers of Jesus, if we say, I am going to live to give. I'm not going to store up on earth. I'm going to try to live like Letourneau did. And, and as my income increases in my life, I'm just going to give more away. Wouldn't that be so cool to just die with a legacy like that? And many of you guys know the Weebs. They, they have Castle Fun Park in Abbotsford. This family is the most wonderful family. They invited me over to their house they, they legitimately make a very, a, a lot of money. And Castle Fun Park is doing great. And I really believe it's because God said, test me in this. And you go to their house and it's this little condo. They drive an 80s car. And their fridge is full of sponsor kids. It's just, you can't even see what color the fridge is. It's sponsor kids. And, and, when we moved from Shushwap to Soyuz, they're the ones that made all that possible. They've, they've sponsored probably over, well, thousands of kids to go to camp for free. And they have decided in their life they're going to live simply so they could give extravagantly. And let me tell you about those two. You talk to them, and their lives are full of light. It's light. It's saying, I'm not going to give into the rat race, the consumer mentality. These things don't make me happy. They're going to the dump anyways. I'm going to invest in things that are eternal. Isn't that wonderful? And Jesus says, you know what? I want you to sit down. I want you to enjoy paradise, a garden party with me. Sit there and I'm going to provide for you. Stop thinking that you're the provider of your family or that you have to be somebody that that provides for a family or you have to get a career. No one in this room needs a career. (laughs) Nobody. We might all have a good job, but God is our provider. and, And while we're here, we're just seeking first his kingdom and he's providing for us. We just get to actually live our dreams and our passions. Isn't that wonderful? We're not created to consume. We're created to create, to have relationship, to fight injustice. This is who we get to be. We get to partner with him in the greatest mission ever. You know what? I just, when those kids in India came up to us and they just said, white people won't give to us unless we do this, my heart just broke. And when we were in Africa with World Vision and they said that, that people in the U.S. won't give to countries that are Muslim, I just thought, oh, all these people are desperate and they don't know the love of Christ. And the reason is because it's because we're not living out the command to love our enemies. Not that there are enemies, but there are perceived 
They're our brothers and our sisters. And we live in an unprecedented time, don't we, where we're actually post-Christian? Let's look at Kelowna. Look at the desperation of people. People don't know their identity. Like, like I, I was just listening to this talk show, and these guys said, we do not feel like adults. When do you feel like an adult? <laughs> I'm not a man. I don't know when I'm going to be a man. You see, we get our identity from our Father, our, our Father in heaven. That's who we get our identity from, but we don't know. All these people are walking around without an identity. The opioid crisis is absolutely out of control. They're not even reported in Kelowna. You know how many people die weekly in our city from, from, from overdose deaths? It's crazy. The amount of people that we just think are, are normal people are on Tinder and sleeping around because they're so desperate for connection. This world has gone so post-Christian, and we know the one who can make them free and alive. Amen? And, and when he says, test me in this, he says, you need to actually bring home and feed and bring food into my house and provide so that we can share this news. He's being so real with his people, God is. He's saying, stop hoarding, stop consuming, it's go time. I think we're going to look back to this time in our lives and in society, and we're going to say, how did this generation get so consumed by stuff? How, how did we get to this point? And it's almost like we're all blind. It's almost like we just keep doing it, and we don't know how to stop. All of our clothing comes from, from overseas, from sweatshops, and all of our shoes. And like, when did it happen? We're going to look back and say, why? And why didn't anybody stop it? They did the same thing. They talked to this old man who was um, at a church during World War II in Germany. And they said, why didn't the church stop Hitler? This is what they asked him. And he said, at first, we were just blind and didn't, we didn't know what was happening. We couldn't see it. And then he said, one day we realized that we were being fooled and that we could no longer keep this facade going. They were having church and a train came by their church and it was full of Jews. And the Jews saw that it was a church and they started yelling out the windows of the train. And the pastor up front, he said this. He said, sing louder. Everyone sing louder. They just wanted to drown out the cries of all those people that were going to the gas chambers. And this old man said, every Sunday morning, they just, every time they heard that train, they just started singing louder. They, they just, they just want, plugged their ears to the injustice of it. He said, at first we were blind and then we were numb. And, and I really believe that we need to, as a people, say, I think we were blind for a long time, but now we're numb to the fact that that we just consume and it's what we do. And none of us feel good about it. And we need to just be generous. We need to just say, God, how do I make more money so I could give more away? How do I give more money to people in desperate need in, in the third world? How do I do that? And I know, I know I'm a pastor, but I really believe that, that we should also be asking, how do I give more to my church? How, how do I support What's going on in my local family? How do I do that? God says, trust me and see that I won't pour open the floodgates. He's saying, I have a praisia for you, paradise, a garden party. He says, come and join me. Sit down. Stop striving. I want to take care of you. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. I just would love to challenge you. 
He doesn't say, test me in this for anything else. I'm going to invite you to just test him. I'm going to invite you that if you're newly married to say, we need to get our family off on the right track here. If you're a parent, we have a little jar in our kids' bedrooms and one says for savings and one says for church and it doesn't always go so well. Usually it goes terribly and usually it goes to ice cream and candy, but I really believe that we need to train our kids up to say we're, we're, we're blessed to be generous. That's why we're blessed. We're not blessed to consume more. Amen? We are not living in Canada to consume more. We're living in Canada to give more away. That's why we're here. I remember when we were in Africa and, and one of the, the pastors said, can you please just tell people about this? Can you just, can you just tell them about us? Can you make them so that they understand our situation? There's all these refugees living in France, and the pastor there said um, they have nowhere to go, and this building only costs, I forget how much money it was, and he said, and everybody's spending that much money on their carpet in their houses, or if something goes wrong and, and they need it with their vehicles and they get a dent, they'll go spend $3,000 on fixing a dent. Meanwhile, these refugees are, are living in squalor. He says, can you... Just ask somebody, just do something about this. And I realized that, that the mirror was pointed directly at me. And, and, and I really believe that as a church, it's time to step up and say, I'm not going to be a consumer anymore. I'm going to have a good eye. I'm going to be known as Joel the Generous. And I wonder if you could say that about yourself. I want to be known as generous, as, as my primary identity. That I, that I live to make a difference, and I promise you, your life will be filled with light. I promise you. We're going to worship, and we're going to take communion. And, and it, I would just encourage you that if, if God has just spoken to you about something, maybe he, there's a dream that's been dormant in you, to just, just recommit that to him. Just talk to someone. We're going to have a prayer team up here, and uh, we would just love to pray for you. What a beautiful promise. He says, I'm going to make you lay down in green pastures. I'm going to prepare a garden party for you. Let's do this.